When you are 406 pounds, you are living a life of restriction. There are absolutely things that you just cannot do. You know, if I was still 406 pounds, when I walked into this room, I would have thought, okay, which chair am I sitting in? Oh, do the legs look Do the legs look strong enough for me to sit in? Wow. Oh, I can't back my chair because I got a desk right behind here. Am I gonna be able to fit in between the table and the desk? All wow. these things just start immediately happening. But I do have a big fear of gaining the weight back, you know, because I have done that. <laughs> I've done that before. That could happen again. It's a possibility. Yeah. You get one life. You have a certain number of days left before you, I guarantee you will die. What are you gonna do with the time that you have left? What are you gonna do every single day to make sure that you're making the most out of every single day? Welcome to the Charoseca Podcast, where we believe our families didn't come this far for us to just come this far. I'm your host, Francisco, with a guest today. Conrado's not here, but we got a special guest. Tony, my man. Intro introduce yourself, bro. My man, uh, <laughs> what an honor it is to be on the podcast. My name is Tony Reyes. Uh, I am <laughs> a former morbidly obese man who uh, is here to talk about Weight loss, mindset, and uh, dude, I'm just so excited to be here, man. Why? Let me explain to everyone why he's even here. Um, a lot of you guys know the journey that I'm going to be going through of running a 100-mile marathon. And in the whole process of it, I encountered some guy on YouTube, which his name is Nick Bear. And I started devouring his uh, videos. And then out of that, the suggestions, right? Oh, you might want to watch this guy. And then I see him. I was like, and the, the title just caught my attention. I was like, man, from obese to marathon. Yes, sir. Damn. And I'm looking at you and I cannot picture that that B-roll that you put in the in the beginning of yeah. uh, when you're in front of the closet. Yeah. That hit me, man. And for everybody that's here, uh, you got to search for his YouTube channel, Focus Fight Finish. Like that first video, like... Vamos a chillar. We're going to freaking cry. Like, and, and the, the whole journey has been a couple of months and everything. And you do not know how much you've helped me in my journey to a hundred mile marathon. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here, brother. It means, it means a lot. I'm so glad we could do this in person. This is the first podcast I've done on person ever, uh, talking about weight loss, which is so cool. Uh, you know, it's always on Zoom, but uh, yeah, man, the uh, the obese to marathon documentary, um, like that was the goal, right? The whole goal with that is with, with documenting my story. Partly was to hold myself accountable. Uh, you know, to, if I'm putting my my stuff out there, putting my yeah. vulnerabilities out there, uh, and putting my goals out there, I, I'm much more likely to achieve them if I'm putting myself on blast. Uh, but the other the other part of that is is to hopefully help inspire people to get started on their own journey. And what I what I thought when I first started and when I first was first posting, I just thought I was going to be posting things to help morbidly obese people, right? And like that's that was really all who I was going to reach and that was fine with me. Like that was my main goal. But to hear like, you know, people like you who you're a freaking stud. I see what you're doing on Instagram every weekend. I see all the all the work that you're putting in. You're a stud. So for you to say that you get inspiration from me is wild uh, because that guy that was standing in front of that closet at 400 pounds, 
he would have never thought that that was possible. He would he, he had never done anything to warrant any type of inspiration from. So that's very meaningful to me. And and thank you, man. I appreciate yeah, man. it. And, and I want to go back to the story kind of like in steps. And I think we could start from the beginning. And I think I want to start from the beginning because a lot of people in our community could relate. You're five, yeah. six months old, and they're going to feed you frijoles with lard. And whatever whatever grandma or mom is cooking, guess what You're, what the baby is going to be That's eating. That's right. So I know there's a story of you when you were six <laughs> months old and your grandma fed you what she yeah she was she was feeding me frijoles you know every every day i was eating you know beans and rice um and uh it's you know it's like both of my parents worked a lot right and so i was raised by either um, my grandma Reyes or my grandma strada right so bo- both of my grandmas raised me and they both fed me the same exact way so i started putting on weight very very young i also wasn't very active didn't do a lot. I played a lot of video games. And so, um, you know, it's just, you, you start, you keep eating that way. You don't, you're not very active and that's how, you know, you get to be 180 pounds in third grade or whatever. Wow, 180 so pounds in third grade. Something yeah. like that. Maybe yeah. it was like 150. Um, it's kind of hard to remember. I was always the biggest yeah. kid in the class by far. Uh, and, and especially back then I wasn't stepping on many scales cause I didn't want to see the number, <laughs> you know, like I, I wasn't doing, but you uh, knew what your pant size was. Oh yeah. Well I had to, I had to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was in elementary school wearing a size 38, um, which I'm, I'm now right now in a 38, 38. which is insane <laughs> to think that I'm in the same pant size that I was when I was in like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. It's nuts. And, and, you know, pants, like men's pants, I got up to a sixty-two was my biggest my biggest pants size. Sixty-two, sixty-two. You yeah. don't even you don't even know they made pants I didn't that even, big. Yeah, yeah. We could probably both fit in a pair of my old pants now. <laughs> if you want to get in my pants, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> my old pants, my old pants. Come yeah, on. man. So then, apart from that, like you you grow up in elementary school, you're size thirty-eight. Then I, I I'm thinking, I'm like, man. Did you ever go through the bullying stages? Because did they try to bully you and things like that? Yeah, you know, honestly, like the school that I went to, it was there was actually a lot of like nice kids. I didn't get picked on too too much in elementary school. When I switched over to a um, to a different school, this school was filled with like a lot of bullies. So seventh grade, uh, I got bullied a lot. Eighth grade, I got bullied a lot. My um, there's this one main instance of bullying when I was in eighth grade. I was in the locker room after PE. We were all getting changed. And, you know, like I said, by eighth grade, I was very, very obese and uh, and easily the biggest kid in school. Uh, it wasn't even close. So uh, this kid, while we're getting changed in the locker room, says, hey, Anthony, I uh, I got a, a birthday present for you. And I'm like, what? Like, that's what, is, what does he mean? He throws a sports bra at me. It was probably left in the gym yeah. somewhere or like whatever, but he throws a sports bra at me. I catch it. Everyone sees they're all, everyone's laughing, you know? And so it's like those moments, <laughs> you know, I was in eighth grade and now I'm almost 35 years old and I still Damn. can remember that feeling of, of shame and like complete embarrassment. Um, it's, I mean, those, those kind of things suck, man. That was uh that was, a, that was a tough one. And so, um. I remember you if you're out there, okay? <laughs> I will find you. <laughs> but there's a reason why you their nickname was uh, uh, Rocky, 
Rocky Reyes. Yeah, man. You <laughs> so, know what? So that's... Thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it because it was probably the coolest moment of my life. I'm not going to lie. I peaked early. I was 14 years old. Um, I had uh, I had just dislocated my knee um, probably like a, a, like a few weeks before. So I was in crutches. I'm crutching around the cafeteria. Still, obviously, very, very obese. This kid throws a sandwich at me. Uh, and says, hey, hey, uh, hey, fat ass, eat this sandwich. So I, I get hit with a sandwich. So I pick the sandwich up. I don't know why I thought I could do this. I was just, I think I was just so angry. And like all these 14 years of being the fat kid, I was like, no, today it ends. <laughs> and so I picked up the sandwich and I hobbled over to his table. And he was like, what are you going to do? And I threw the sandwich down his shirt. He stands up. He punches me across the face. Now, thankfully, I think I just had such a chubby face. It it was like a protective, (laughs) like a helmet, like a skin helmet, because I didn't even feel it. And I just used every ounce of anger that I had ever had in that moment and put in my entire body weight behind me, which there was a lot of it. And I hit this kid uh, once, and his head smacks the cafeteria table and then he falls onto the ground and he's laying there for like 10 minutes. So I go from being like utter jubilation of like, wow, I, I stood up to my bully and I have fi- I finally silenced a hater. And, and now everyone has seen it. It was awesome. And then he didn't move. And, and I was like, Oh no, this is really, really bad. I am going just to killed jail. Somebody. I just killed somebody. Thankfully, it was fine. And we actually became friends because you know how guys are. It's like yeah. you get in a fight and then it's over. Yeah. Uh, so we actually became friends after that. But uh, yeah, ever since that day, nobody else picked on me the rest of high school, honestly, like besides like basic, you know, bullying, like basic, you know, shit talk. It wasn't like anything too serious like that. Uh, and and I got the nickname Rocky Reyes uh, ever from ever since that. So Video guy put the Rocky song dun, 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 right here. <laughs> It was awesome, man. I, it, was, it was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, man. So then apart from that, so so then you 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 finish high school. You, you got your first job. I think you ended up rooming, rooming with somebody, right? Yes. Yeah. I was uh, with my best friend, Steve. We moved out. We uh, I grew up in Victorville, Hesperia area, um, the high desert. And so we moved down to Orange County together. And, you know, this is the first time we've been away from home. And at home, my parents were always like, they were always trying to get me to lose weight, right? So I couldn't ever like really go crazy as far as food went, even though I would sneak stuff all the time. Now I could just do it out in the open. Damn. I could eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. So me and my friend Steve, we were just gluttonous, you know, like we'd go out, we'd hit up, uh, we just all the 24 hour places in and out the hat carne asada carne fries, asada yeah. fries. <laughs> yeah there's this this uh this mexican place right in Whittier where it was like open 24 hours you get super super fries alfredos it was maybe i think it was alfredos <laughs> i think it was probably alfredos yeah, alfredos i got a i got a bone to pick with alfredo he's he's uh responsible for <laughs> 95 pounds of rapid weight gain uh yeah man so it was just like I was just eating whatever I wanted, and I, I just gained a, a significant amount of weight right out of right out of high school and early in college. Which you tapped out at what? My my highest weight was four hundred and six pounds. Four hundred and six. And I I think you know what I mean. Like I probably uh, yeah. was like four ten, four fifteen, but it was just so up and down. Like when you get up into the four hundreds, 
10 pounds is really like not that big of a deal. Like you could fluctuate 10 pounds easily. Um, so I, I just, I know the, the highest I ever got on the scale was 406. So then, so then when did you actually decide the first time that's like, you know what, I am going to try to lose weight? Well, so I've, I've been trying to lose weight, you know, um, since even since I was a kid, like my parents, like I said, they were trying to get me to, to lose weight. They were trying to help me. Um, and so I did, I had spurts of, of weight loss when I was in high school, um, you know, trying to do Atkins or things like that. Um, but my first real, real attempt was when I was like 23. Um, and I had, I lost a hundred pounds. Uh, I got a trainer. I, you know, I was doing everything right. I did a Spartan race. I got featured in the Spartan race book. Uh, Joe Decina hit me up. He's like, Hey, I'm writing a book about for, for Spartan race. And we saw that, you know, you did a Spartan race after losing hundred pounds. Let's, uh, let's put you in the book. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, let's do it. So he wrote like a little page about me in his book and which was awesome at the time. But then after like, you know, life happens, um, I ended up gaining all that weight back. And so it was, yeah, man. I mean, it. you want to talk about shame, like being featured in a book for weight loss and then being part of the statistic Damn. that just gains it all back. That was really hard, man. That was really, really hard. Damn, I still remember that, bu- that book because I read it a long time ago in 2000, maybe 17, Spartan Up by Joe yeah. Descent of the book. And right. I still remember vividly that story, of course, not knowing that I would be sitting here with, with the person, right? <laughs> and then what ended up happening was right now with the 100-mile marathon journey that I have, there's people that have been like, hey, let if I could join you with the journey, because that's usually what happens. Like, yeah. hey, I'm people like to follow someone that knows where they're going. So then people started following and they're like, all right, cool. Just instead of hiking every week, how about we also read a book? Or listen to a book once a week. Yeah. So one of those books, the first book was Spartan Up. And I said, that guy, that guy and that story is going to be in my podcast one day. Three, That's four amazing. months later, bam, That's you're in the wild, podcast. Dude. Yeah, that man. Is wild. Just you have to call it out to the universe. Dude, that's amazing, man. So apart from that, so like you said, you you went through the Spartan race and then it yo-yoed up, right? So the weight. So you went back up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I went all the way up. Uh, It just, you know, I've been a yo-yo dieter my whole whole life. It was just like up and down and up and down. and, and, And when I got, when I gained it back that last time, I was like, oh, this is never going to end. Like I'm always just going to gain weight or I'm always going to lose weight and then I'm going to gain it back. And I, I had just completely given up hope that I would ever have a successful weight loss journey. Um, but something happened. I know that the, whatever happened to you happened to me. Life was kind of hitting me. I was already hitting my, almost my thirties. And then for me, what snapped me out in perspective, and I was like, what the hell am I doing? Is when my wife told me that we we're going to have the one that we were expecting. Right. That's that's like the best day of your life and the scariest. Yes, day of your life. because then everything got into perspective for me and my side. It was kind of like my story comes from my my grandpa to my dad passing the culture of charreria. My dad tried to do it when he came from Mexico here. The first five years, I, I was a two-year-old riding a horse by myself. But, <laughs> but L.A. living, you know, yeah. L.A. is freaking expensive. So yeah. he sold everything. So that yeah. was it for Charreria and horseback riding right. and the whole thing. So I'm 29, and I'm like, what the hell am I going to pass to my, my son? Like, whatever my dad tried to because... But he had to work. And right. I think going back, 
I I was holding stuff against him because he was working so much. But now yeah. when I'm a dad, don't we all? Don't yeah, we all like, have these like and there's weird... a, and there's a thing that my dad said. He goes, "You're not gonna know how to be a son until you become a father." I'm like, Oof. oh, so then when yeah. I found out, look it, there's a saying that we say, "Se me encuero el chino." Se me chino el cuero. But look at my look at my arm because yeah. because I still remember the day that my wife said, "I'm pregnant. We're gonna have a baby," and then. I don't know if it was like my body just got hot. I was like sweating. I was like, okay, so what the hell is going on? It's like, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a crossroad right there in your life. Yeah. That's a punto de partida. Like now you're not working just for you or for myself. Like there's people right. that are going to depend on right. us. And I think that's when you started thinking like, what the, like. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when, uh, Meredith, my wife told me that we were going to have a baby, it's like, that's a whole other, like, no matter whatever happens, like, people, you know, they they love each other, sometimes they separate, whatever, but there's nothing that breaks a bond between a parent and a child. So, like, there's there's nothing that's going to break that. So, they are your responsibility yes. for the rest of your life. Whether they need you or not, you will always feel like they're your responsibility. Because I, I don't feel like, you know, uh, like, I, I, I can manage through life, right, without Correct. Like, the help of my parents, but I need. I would love their. I love their help. You know. I love. I love the relationship that we have now. Um, but I'm sure they always feel like, always are going to be responsible for me. You know. And and so I'm always going to feel responsible for Ryder, even if he feels like he doesn't need me anymore. I will feel like he needs. And, me. And that's a delicate kind of a thing right there that you're mentioning because my dad told me the same thing. I work six seven days a week because of you. I didn't take it that way. But now that I realize it's like I have to balance it because I want to work really hard for my son. But my son, all he wants is my time. So it's yes. kind of like a very balanced, like I want to do all of that for him. Right. But then all he wants, he doesn't care. He doesn't it, care no. about if we feed him frijoles and shit. Like they he, don't. he, all he cares is my, it, how to, there's a saying that, that, that children spell love T-I-M-E. That's, that is a great. A great quote. That's a great quote. Uh, and it's true. You know, I feel like both of our, our our fathers in that generation, my dad worked all the time. I mean, like I said earlier, I was raised by my grandparents, you know, most of the time. Like, my grandma would drop me off at school. My grandma would pick me up at school. I would spend summer breaks at my, grandma, at my other grandma's house because my mom was you know, trying to become a nurse and then became a nurse and then worked a lot. And my dad had a, his own, his own business as well. He had a laundry business and, uh, you know, it's just, he was working all of the time, but he was doing that to provide for yeah. my sister and I. And I never, I, I, again, I didn't realize that until I became a father, you know? And so once you become a father and you can like see it through a different lens and see it through it, that different, that different filter, then you really, uh, it just it they he becomes a different person in my eyes now. He becomes that person who did care about us, who did love us, who was just doing his best. And so I because of that though, I'm thankful I can see that now because I could have a tendency to be a workaholic as well. It's very easy for me to just like zone in and just work and work and work. And now I pull back a lot. You know, I work like nine to six and then that's it. I am not missing dinner. I'm not missing bath time. I'm not missing bedtime. I refuse. 
I might work after he goes back to yeah, bed, yeah. you know, but like, I will not miss that time with him. Uh, and, and I, you know, I have a, another, another child coming I this know. December. Congrats, bro. Thank you. Thank you. And so it's going to be the same thing with her. You know, it's, uh, I just, I, I want that time. I, I need that time. I know how important that time is because I didn't get that time when I was a kid. And so I want to be able to try to give them both. So you got to find a balance. So I want to get to the story of how from obese to marathon, did it start with the 30 day challenge? Um, so it was actually, everything started with a hundred day challenge. Okay. Um, I didn't do no thirties. A lot of people do 75 yeah. hard. No, no, no. I was like, I'm at <laughs> such a, such a, uh, a serious point in my life. I had so many health issues. I was like, I need to dedicate a hundred percent for a hundred days. That's what I tell myself a hundred percent for a hundred days. And I looked on the calendar and it worked out to where I had just finished David Goggins book. Can't hurt me. That book changed my life. Oh, man. Literally. We could talk a whole podcast about it. Easily. Easily could talk a whole podcast about David Goggins and that book. But that that book is what sparked my entire weight loss journey this time around. Um, it, 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 it literally changed my life. And so I finished that book. I looked at the calendar. I had about three days, and then I was going to start. I had a, an exact 100 days before my son's first birthday. And so I was like, okay. I'm going to lose 50 pounds in these 100 days. I'm going to give it 100% effort, no cheat meals, no skipping out of workouts, working out six days a week, drinking a gallon of water a day, intermittent fasting, like everything that I had like kind of accumulated over all my yo-yo diets, yeah. I was putting in to this 100 days. I was like, this is going to be my 100% effort because my son, his first birthday, I had planned to lose weight before he was even born. By the way, that didn't happen. You know, I failed that. So I had like a whole other, you know, regret happening around that. But it was just, it was already getting hard to like lay with him on the ground and play with him and stuff. So it was like, okay, I'm dedicating 100% to myself. And so that's where it started was the the 100 days before uh, his first birthday. So how was the journey from there? So were you at 406 at that point? No, I had, I had gotten back up. I think at that point it was like 380. Um yeah, I think like 380 was was when I started. So one of the things that uh and and what the the conversation that we're having right now, you could actually look at uh his video called Obese to Marathon on his uh Focus Fight channel, but one of the most impactful parts that I wanted to talk about is when you you told your family and you had your mom and your dad and you says, "What would it mean to you to your family to for you to lose weight?" And that was the first time I ever cried on a YouTube video. <laughs> but what did it mean to them? You know, for them, it was that they wouldn't have to worry anymore about basically about me dying before them. Damn. And that video was actually taken years ago. I I, I had filmed that because I was... Um, I've been trying to lose weight for a long time. So that was from my video submission to Biggest Loser. I was trying to get on the Biggest Loser show because I, I was at a point where I was like, they're the only people that can help me. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. But I was like, I, you know, Jillian and Bob are the only two trainers in the world that can help me lose weight. You know, I was like young 20. I was like, I don't, I don't even remember. But that was close to my highest weight there in, in those videos. And so, yeah, I filmed with my, my mom and my stepdad and my dad and my stepmom and, uh, you know, just got their, their raw reactions. I did. I had no setup either. I just said, Hey, I need to film something for biggest loser. Let's just do it. And so we just, that was their raw reaction. Your dad made me cry. <sighs> Your dad. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it was. It, it's still hard to watch that because you, you forget, like when you're gaining weight, especially now as a dad, it's easy to see this. But when you're a kid, it's hard. That was the first time I had that realization. Like I'm not just hurting myself; Damn. I'm hurting my family with this weight because I'm putting on the stress of them possibly losing their son and my wife possibly losing her husband before I should. You know, obviously we're all going to die one day, but I shouldn't die at 26 because of my weight. Now, if I get hit by a bus or something, that's one thing. But like if if I'm not taking every single opportunity that I can to extend my life in a healthy way as much as I can, then then that's, uh, you know, you're just not taking into account the other people in your life that that love you and care about you. Yeah, and I think that's uh, a lot of the motivation that ha- that has inspired me is sometimes for other people, like even the the re- the the listeners, the people that have reached out to me, like man, your podcast, your book, or like just being in business or whatever has changed my life. I'm like, wow, do I really have an impact like that? And then. Like, yeah, we do. So then that kind of snaps me out of any uh, self-pity party that I'm throwing for myself all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So other people do motivate. So for the people even listening, if you have a podcast or a video, everybody has a story. I think everybody has a story and there's different channels that you could put your story through. YouTube, you know, you could put it through a podcast, you could put it through Facebook, Instagram, and you never know who you might change their lives. And, And so I'm really, so then from the marathon, you had set up the date, which is December 6th. Yes. Right. So you were working hard, but then something happened in March 2020. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there's this thing called COVID 19. <laughs> it's this little thing. Not a lot of people know about it. Uh, yeah. So COVID hit. I had planned. So the year of 2020 was going to be my marathon year. I had, I had, I had set up and set up all the races too. Like I had already bought and planned all the races. So I had a 5k, a 10k, a half marathon, and then my marathon all, all year long leading up to the marathon. And then, you know, as COVID started and people started, you know, things started getting more serious and races started getting canceled, you know, everything got shut down. Um, my, my first race gets canceled, my second race, my half marathon. And, and it wasn't until like, I think like September that I found out that my, my actual marathon was going to get canceled. Cause I kept thinking, you know, in April by then, Oh, by then we'll get this COVID thing wrapped up. You know, we'll figure it out No, no. And so, uh, it just, you know, everything got canceled. And so I was in that mindset where there was nothing that was going to stop me from finishing this marathon and COVID included. It's not going to stop me from, from finishing this marathon. And so On the day that I was supposed to do all my races, I went out and I still did them. I just did them by myself out on the street. You know, you know, there was no, no no trophy. There's no no confetti. Yeah, there's no. no It's sad to say that's how life is gonna be. Exactly. Like no one's gonna throw a freaking party no like because you did the right thing or right, you, you right. finish your job like <laughs> right it's just what what you should expect of yourself Damn. is to set that up and get it done whether there's a crowd and a ribbon to run through at the end or not and that's how i looked at it and that's what i did and and so i ran my 5k i ran my 10k i ran my half marathon and i was going to do the exact same thing with the marathon um the the only issue with the marathon, it was like 11 days before my marathon, I had gotten injured. I had been feeling injured for a little while, but my my left foot at this point had really started to become a problem. And so I went to my doctor. The doctor was like, 
you know, don't do the race. You, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't but we can't run. hold you back. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you can't, you shouldn't do it. And I was like, well, I, I want a second opinion. And so I went to a specialist, I went to a, a podiatrist and she looked at me and she was like, she could tell I was going to run this. That you wanted, like, that, that like, she wasn't going to stop. You. Right. Right. And so she was like, okay, listen, if you do want to run, um, maybe walk, walk it and then jog it, but mainly walk. And I'm like, Hey, that's good enough for me. As long as you're <laughs> telling me I'm not going to be like, you know, I'm not going to you it's know have some type of injury for the rest of my life. Then fine. I'm doing it. And, uh, and yeah, I, 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 man, I did it. I did it. So walk me through a day of the marathon. You know, you're getting all pumped up in the mornings. Like, damn, this is a day. You yeah. never ran that much. You never ran that much ever, right? No, because People. I because I kept kept getting injured. The longest run I had before my marathon was my half marathon. Up in training, I'd worked back up to 13 miles. Um, but like, there was like a few. There was like a a 16 mile run, a 18 mile run, and a 20 mile run in my running program that I was supposed to do before the marathon that I never actually did because I kept getting injured uh-huh. along the way. And so mentally I'm thinking, Holy fuck. I've <laughs> only ran 13 miles ever. And now I got to go run double that, double that. <laughs> and it was very stressful. So yeah, no day of, uh, I had, uh, you know, surprisingly like a, a sense of calmness because, even though, you know, leading up to it, I was much more nervous. But the day of, I was calm. Okay. Because I knew no matter what happened that day, no matter how slow I was, no matter whatever. You were going to finish. I was going to matter, finish. Yeah. Exactly. I knew I was about to be, to go through a lot of pain, but I was going to finish and it was going to be over after that. And I just needed to get through it. I just needed to, I kept visualizing that finish line. Like, on almost all of my runs, I just I visualize me finishing that marathon, and that visualization is what kept me going on that marathon and it kept me going to that finish line. And so, yeah, day of it wasn't it wasn't so much nerves; it was just like the realization that I was going to finish that I had already made up my mind enough that I was calm about it. I was like I'd accepted my fate of it's it's the title of your channel, bro. Focus, fight. Yeah, exactly. And you're gonna finish. You gotta finish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that. what I'm thinking when you're listening. I'm like, focus, fight. That's really what it is. There's no nerves. There's no nothing. You're yeah. focused. You know, you were in the zone, right? And then you start mile number one, right? How did you feel mile number one? I felt great. I felt great. The it was a beautiful day. It was early, so it was still really dark. We had to have headlamps on. Um, it was, uh, it was nice and cold and it was, I love running in the cold weather. It was just nice. It was perfect. And the, and the person for me that I do long runs as well, every first mile or two, it's, it's like, man, this is going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> and then every run has a story. Yeah. What happened to mile number three? Mile number three, my left foot was like, oh yeah, I forgot I was injured. <laughs> I'm going to blow up now. And it just, it just, you know, the pain just started happening. Um, all the pain, <clears throat> all the pain before the marathon and even up to mile three was just on the side of my left foot. Not that bad. But by the time I had gotten to like my, I mean, by the time I got to like mile 18, mile 18 is where I really Dang. hit a wall. So from mile three to mile 18, I was in pain and just kind of walking and jogging. It wasn't like the worst thing in the world, um, but I was like, it was manageable. Yeah. 
Once I got to mile 18, though, the pain had expanded from just the side of my foot to under, over, and up my leg. And then because of the way I was running, it was almost like kind of like limping. And so now my right knee is hurting because that my right knee is taking Damn. a beating because I'm putting most of my weight on it. My back, my hips are all jacked up because I'm completely unaligned. I'm not balanced. The, you know, trying to do a marathon with a limp is not advisable. Uh, zero out of 10 stars. Uh, it, it sucks. And, uh, yeah. And so like it affected all of my, my, my entire body. So by mile 18, I was in a black hole basically. And there's something that you said, uh, that was, uh, it's all these feelings and memories, even of you not being able to sit on an airplane and all yeah. that stuff that just started boiling up. I, you know, <laughs> running 18 miles, uh, on a healthy body is hard, but yeah. running 18 miles on an injured body, it, it brings out a lot of emotions out of you. And so I was having a moment. <laughs> I, I was sitting on a bench. I was 18 miles in. I still had eight more miles to go. And I was just, dude, I was like, I was literally sobbing, like, <laughs> like doing the whole thing, you know? And uh, it was rough, man. It was, a, it was a super dark moment. And so I'm thinking back my whole life, I'm thinking about how it has all led me up to this one moment right here sitting on this bench. And when you are 406 pounds, you are living a life of restriction. There are absolutely things that you just cannot do. Um, you know, if I was still 406 pounds, when I walked into this room, I would have thought, okay, which chair am I sitting in? Oh, do the man. legs look, do the legs look strong enough for me to sit in? Wow. Oh, I can't back my chair because I got a desk right behind here. Am I going to be able to fit in between the table and the desk? All wow. these things just start immediately happening. Every time you go into a restaurant, uh, oh my God, a, a, a backyard wedding and the foldable chairs they always have oh. out. I'm immediately scared of those. So it's like, it's, I just labeled a bunch of things that you just sit in, but <laughs> there's a lot more that restricts you, you know, clothing, uh, amusement park rides, airplane seats. Good God. Uh, there's a lot that, uh, that restricts you. And so I had put all that emotion, all that baggage on me for so long that it was like, I'm finally at the, at the point of my life. This is what I'm thinking in the marathon. Like I'm finally at the point of my life where I don't have to worry about that anymore. I've, I've beaten this to us to, to up to yeah. this point and i will finish this marathon because of that like i i took all that with me and like it, it really helped fuel me to uh to finish those last eight miles did you ever have an ounce of like that you were gonna give up at 18 i thought yeah yeah i, I mean because i was you know in the film you see it, it's like a, a minute and a half segment or something but you were going through that for oh i was sitting there for about 15 <clears throat> minutes and just sitting there for 15 minutes like the first six i'm like no I'm done. This is it. I'm, you know, because I would, and you know, all these dark voices start creeping up. Uh, they start saying, who's going to blame you? Yep. Who, you tried. Hey, you tried. Yeah, yeah. You got to, you, you literally have 18. video footage yeah. of a doctor telling you don't do it. So it's like, I got my, I got my get out of jail free card. I'll show this video, show the doctor saying, don't do it. And then I say, I could only make it 18 miles. And then, wow, he made it 18 miles. I'm so proud of him. That, absolutely was 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 there like you know and and so for people to think that like that voice is always going to be there no matter what you do it's called I, resistance it, they exactly. call it resistance it, your brain wants you to be comfortable and i was uncomfortable for hours and so my brain was like no enough 
enough. You've done enough. You have to stop that. Like, but you have to, you have to have more. You have to know that your body is capable of pushing yourself more. If you just tell it to shut up and just keep pushing, obviously don't do anything to get yourself killed. But I knew I had more deep down. I knew I could finish eight miles. I knew it was going to be painful, but I knew I could finish. And so, yeah, I definitely had moments of, of doubt. I had minutes of doubt where I was like, no, I'm done. David Goggins will come up a lot in my long runs, you know, 40%, yeah. 40% of, rule. 40% rule. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> so the thing about when that, what I like about, especially kind of something like that endurance, right? Endurance training and things like that, biking, uh, swimming, things like that is that there is always a point where you're, it's kind of like, I'm always in a fight in a boxing ring with my own mind. Yes. While I'm on a run. And we're wearing gloves, right? At the beginning, we're jabbing each other. We're getting to feel. But then round number 10 happens. And you're like, the finish line is already there. And the gloves come off. That sucker on the other side, which is called the ego, the mind, resistance, whatever you want to call it, just will bite you in your ear if he has to, to fucking make you give up. Like that guy doesn't care or that person. I I, I, I see like a person because when I'm running and I'm doing endurance, like I'm going 31 miles. Yeah. Like, man, there's some, some, some of those five miles at a time are so fucking like, man, I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. I'm freaking this. I'm top of the world. And the next five miles, I'm a piece of crap. And then the next five <laughs> miles, I'm fucking again. And then yeah. it's like a roller coaster. Yeah. But then again, I relate that to business. I relate that to parenting. I can relate that to marriage. I can relate there. Like, you know, so sometimes I even start kind of like tearing up. Like, what the fuck am I doing on these like like long runs? Like, I shouldn't be here. I don't have to be here. I could go home right now. But, and and the the whole process of it's like the satisfaction at the end that you actually won that battle. But again, that ego, there's no way to destroy it until you die. So the next day and the next day is a constant battle. So apart from that, I would say one of the biggest reasons why I'm able to kind of fight my ego is because of the woman that I chose. Mm -hmm. And I remember one very beautiful moment where me and my wife kind of hugged each other a little bit more when you, after the 18th mile, you cross paths with your wife and you could you could see sincerity, and, and uh, she was like, "Are you okay? Can't you could do it?" And I could yeah. see it in her eyes, and I was like, raw emotion, like that she really does care for you. And yeah. I think at that point, you you even said it, like, "Man, I'm like, she's fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm lucky." And I think that for me, I, I relate to because I think if we choose the right woman, fuck, man, we could do so much or, or significant others, right? Right, right. Yeah, man. It's uh, that moment was. I mean. My wife is amazing for a lot of reasons, but she's really amazing because she's so supportive of me, my goals, uh, my dreams. And she, uh, you know, when I said I wanted to run a marathon, she said, okay, I'll do it with you. Damn. And like that, she does not, when she said, yes, she'll do a marathon, she's not working out. She's not like out there training. <laughs> she, she just said it because she wanted to do that with me because she knew it was going to be so important to me. And that's amazing. And and like at that point, she'd already given birth to our son. Like she is such a strong woman. It's insane. And so to see her, by the way, kicking my ass out there, she's running. She did, she ran the whole marathon nonstop. It was amazing. And uh, so to see her cross paths, I still, by the way, got like eight miles left. She's on her way back. Like she's, she's on her like her last three miles or something. She's really kicking my ass. 
And to see her just in such high spirits and like to have her root me on like that. Oh man. Yeah. That, that is definitely the boost that I, that I needed. Um, it just, uh, it, it fired me up to know, like, I got someone out there who's got my back no matter what. And that's how we, that's how we attack every problem, marathon included, you know, whether it's, facing our toddler who is throwing a fit or facing uh, uh, some type of struggle in life. Like we face it together and man, it's yeah. When when you have the right person, it's you're unstoppable. Yeah, man. Um, I've, I've said it in my podcast that out of a hundred percent of a relationship, 90% is a selection process. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you choose correctly, like all your, like you could go through a lot. You know, and uh, one of the things that I've said in our podcast is like in our community, I don't like the whole toxic and be toxic or toxico because they're taking a lot of pride right now. They're even making Mexican like regional music, like the corridos Uh of being proud to be toxic. There's people putting stickers on their trucks like, oh, I want a toxic. I'm like, no, you don't, bro. You really want somebody that's going to be there next to you that says, you know, I want to run a marathon. I'm going to be there with you. I want to start a business. I'm going to support you like someone that's going to be there not to cater to you, but someone that's going to push you to become a better person. My wife has made me who I am. I'm in the podcast, in the social media world. People might see the the tip of the iceberg of Charro Azteca and Francisco, and he wrote a book and whatever. But to, deep down inside, I'm like, I would not never be here where I'm at if it wasn't for her. A hundred percent agree. Yeah, I, I, I relate to that completely. Completely. And I think you could relate to this part. When I did my my Spartan race in Utah, and it was all hills, hills were at 6,000 feet of elevation. Oof. I was done. No, thank you. And you know, the at the end of the Spartan race, the last half a mile, it's all just obstacle, obstacle, mm-hmm. obstacle, mm-hmm. obstacle. I was done. I was done. And that day, my wife and my son and my daughter... I might even cry on this point. I turned a corner to get to all the obstacles and my wife was there for five hours with my son and my daughter to root me in that little corner. I just started like 13 miles of pain of uphill. It's hard, but I don't know how much energy I got from that, from hearing my little girl. Like, daddy, you could do it. You could do it. All the noise just and you know they play music it's like a carnival in a Spartan race like the loud music I cannot hear no one but my daughter like daddy you could do it I'm going through the rig through the the cargo nets and everything and I I can't hear nothing but my daughter daddy you could do it I know the last two miles for you were painful of that marathon you know you're already there and then what's the one thing that you're thinking about oh my son the whole time the whole time I'm thinking about my son you know and and if you watch the the documentary you, you see that I mean at that point, my mind was just like I was, yeah, so loopy. I I, I almost <laughs> not. I almost don't even remember finishing the marathon. My my brain was <laughs> wavering, and so like I was rambling on and on. About you don't know me, son. My, you don't know, know me, son. No, that one came. <laughs> yeah, that came from the depths of my mind. I listened to. It, I listened to that. I now I've listened to that book like yeah. f- like six times. I was listening to it on the way here. Oh, like it's an obsession uh, with that book. Anyway, uh, um, that last that last stretch, that last mile, I just kept repeating over and over and over and over. I am relentless. They don't know me, son. I got to get to my boy. I got to get to my boy. I just kept saying that, like, like a crazy person. And that is what got me there. Like I and and I was running again 
which is crazy. You're like, what think. the hell happened to all the pain from like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like running at like a brisk pace. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm moving, and uh, it's just crazy. And you, you know, I cross the finish line, and I just grab my son, I pick him up, I hold him, and it is just like I still, I can remember that feeling. I can remember the way he smelled, like just everything about it. It was like, God, like this, this is this is a, 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 a you know a this is my son. Yeah. And this is a part of me, and he's a part of me, and he is now. Thank, thankfully, you know, thanks to the the documentary, he can now see like what I went through, what I was able to accomplish, and so that he can apply that same type of mentality to any struggle along his life. And and I might not have like you know a, a ton to give to my son at the end of my day, but like if I can give him the knowledge that he is capable of yeah. anything if he is willing to work for it and if he's willing to put the effort in he is absolutely capable of anything if i can just give him that man that I that, feel like that's that hug at the end of that documentary was i could tell you were wanting to give that hug because i still like i wonder what the first words that he's gonna say when he and it was i love you son i love you son you remember that yeah i was like man i could tell that he's been wanting to say that yeah so i don't think if even if you had another five miles to run i don't think if you had to run a 50 mile i think you will finish it because you had one you one goal yeah like i'm gonna i need to get to my son and the subconscious mind is so freaking strong you're talking about kind of like what the hell happened to the pain it reminds me of a story of uh it's a sad story but uh <clears throat> one of my cousins a long time ago in the 90s backed up the car and unfortunately kind of uh, there was a little baby behind oh, you know sad yeah. sad story but my cousin he was 20 years old and he grabs the car and picks it up by himself it was wow. uh, an explorer to be exact he grabs the car and picked it up and the car the tire literally came off the ground wow. and of course, something happened. They grabbed a the little girl. They take her to the hospital. But after the shock and everything, it's like to realize how the hell did he pick yeah. a, a whole car up? And our conscious mind is our conscious mind. But that subconscious is so strong if we tap into it. And I think you tapped into it not because of the conscious and the logistics and the book. You tapped into it because of emotion. Yeah. You tapped into it because of uh, of your son. You tapped, You could tap into it because of love, you know? So that, like, how can we tap into that? Like, imagine tap into that on a daily basis to go to work, to yeah. passion on the work. Like, so if you have a job that is a dead-end job, like, come on, like, like hustle to get out of there because right. you you need to, life is short and, and you need to do something that you're going to be passionate about. You do video. And you're, I'm so happy for you that you're doing video for another company, right? Yeah. That's so awesome. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. It's, you know, the, my career path has not been a, a straight line. I'm a college dropout and I just, I've always, I've always felt that like, I will just figure it out. Uh, I knew college wasn't for me. I didn't, I, I hated school. And so I was like, I'm just going to figure this out. And I, if if a job is, if I'm not happy at that job, I will do whatever it takes to leave that job and go somewhere yeah. else. I lived, I was working at Disneyland, and after a while, I hated it there. And so I left working at Disneyland to go wash dishes at Panera Bread. And you know, I went from being a dishwasher to being a regional manager at a at Panera Bread. And so like that that same drive is like I've always had that drive, 
to to achieve something, but I could never apply it to my weight loss. Yeah. And so to to finally be able to like tap into that and like apply it to my weight loss has been incredible. And so like the same thing with with Panera Bread, like leaving leaving Panera Bread, this super corporate world, which I was not. Yeah. I had always been behind the camera. I've always been a wanted to be a filmmaker. And to now be able to do that for a fitness company um, is amazing. Because now it's like I I literally have both of my passions, fitness and film. Yeah. And they're combined. And it is just it's it's been a dream so far. So so uh, cool, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. And one of the questions I want to ask you after all of that story and people are like, damn, like I could do it too. Like what does relentless mean to you? Relentless is the concept that. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what base you started on, you know, we all start at different, you know, I, I feel like I started on second base, even in my childhood because of my parents and different things. There's a lot of people who are starting in the yeah. parking lot, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. like, it's just, it, it, and that's just the luck of the draw. And that's just the, the way it is. So you have to know that no matter where you started in life, where, where you want to get to, how dark it gets, how absolutely hopeless certain situations feel like if you are relentless and you apply this, this knowledge that you can do anything you want, it's going to require more work than you've ever done. It's going to require everything. Damn everything it will require everything but it is possible if you are relentless if you just keep pushing you keep going and you don't give up if you have that tenacity then you you won't be declined you won't be stopped it's just it's just a matter of time Damn. for it to happen and and that to me is what relentlessness is it's just the idea of absolutely 100% never giving up and i was going to ask you how much does it take to change oh everything it yeah. takes everything it takes everything and there's a uh, there's a saying as you have to ha- you have to want it as bad as you want to breathe. Right. And some people don't understand that until you have asthma, which I have. I have sinus problems. So when I'm going through my running, I didn't start running because of a like let's say because of a weight loss or things like that. I I, I run because that's the only time I could actually breathe. Wow. I can't breathe right now. I can't breathe when I'm sleeping. I can't breathe, but when I'm running for some reason, the adrenaline is the only time I could breathe. And it feels so damn awesome to be a regular nose breather <laughs> when I'm running. So yeah. that's why I don't want to stop running. And the last question, what's your biggest fear? My biggest fear, obviously outside of, you know, the safety and health of my family. Uh, my biggest fear right now would be not reaching the highest, fullest potential version of myself. You know, I think... Uh, I think I have a that, that that could be coupled a couple different ways. I have I do have a big fear of gaining the weight back, you know, because I have done that. <laughs> I've done that before, uh, as we talked about earlier. Like I have gained the weight back uh, before in my life when I was in my younger twenties, and I lost all that weight, and then I gained it back. That could happen again. It's a possibility. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just ha- knowing that that's a possibility, it is scary. And so every single day I have to keep working at this, keep pushing at this, keep being relentless to, you know, to keep the ball rolling. Even if the weight's not 
continually coming off every single day, I have to have a, a, a maintenance area. I have to have a, a I have to take a stand and, and to make sure that that never happens. And that that goes into not reaching the fullest version of myself. You know that the high potential version of myself. Goggins talks about it in his yeah. book. A lot of people talk about it in different different ways. But it's like on the day that you die, <clears throat> you are presented with the highest possible version of yourself, the, 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 your best potential self, he walks out to meet you. And if you look at him and he's a complete stranger wow. to you, that's not good. And you know, I, I don't want that. I don't think I'll ever reach that hundred percent version of myself, but if I, I want to get close, you know, that's what I want to get. I want to get close. And so for me, that would be my biggest fear, man. We talked about it in a podcast um, called "The Pearly Gates of Heaven," where it's like when you reach the pearly gates, you know they say only judge, only only God could judge you. Well, then finally you get judged, you know. And God says you you were put in this earth for a hundred reasons, and here's the list, and you only accomplished ten out of the hundred. You got to be the person that says, "Here, I finished your hundred, and here's an extra twenty. Yeah, things that I did that you weren't <laughs> expecting me to do. Yeah. You know. So what is next for Tony now? Right now, man, it's, you know, I've had a lot, I've had a lot of health issues this year. So finally getting past all that, getting back into my training grind. And, uh, I was supposed to run a, a triathlon this last September. That didn't happen because I was in the hospital. I needed surgery. Anyway, the next thing is getting back on track and, and doing a, a triathlon like middle of next year. Middle of next year. Yeah. Are we running a Spartan race? hundred percent. Let's you? do it. Right. I would love that. <laughs> That'd be sick. I would love that. Yeah, man. So apart from that, before the before we, uh, where can they follow your journey? Uh, thank you, man. Yeah. So uh, Focus Fight Finish on Instagram, Focus Fight Finish on YouTube. Uh, I have a, a new podcast I just started. Yep. <clears throat> it is titled creatively the Focus Fight Finish podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with us, dude. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really branched out for the name. Uh, but I, so it's a weekly podcast where I just sit down and talk about weight loss, my life, things going on, answer questions. Uh, and I also have videos that I'll, that I'll be posting uh, frequently to YouTube. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's it. If you have a question or anything or any, I answer every single one of my DMs on Instagram. And so, you know, it's important to me. So if you do have a question or you do need help, I am here for you. I'm not a professional, but I'm at least here to uh, to help any way that I can. Focus, fight, finish on everywhere, right? Everywhere. Hey, and any last words for someone that's out there? Just like close your eyes, visualize the, the 16-year-old that's like, man, like I want, what can he tell me right now to get to snap out of this funk? Man, you get... One life, you know, you get one life. You have a certain number of days left before you, I guarantee you will die. What are you going to do with the time that you have left? What are you going to do every single day to make sure that you're making the most out of every single day? Because it's going to all end. All of this is going to end. In a hundred years, no one's going to remember either one of us. So... What are you doing to make yourself happy? What are you doing to make sure that you reach your own goals, that you reach your full potential? You don't have unlimited time. A lot of us like to act like we don't have an expiration date. We have an expiration date, so act accordingly. You remind me, and to that same person that he's talking to, it's like we, we live live with the quote that today's the first day of the rest of my life. But how about if we switch it and be like, today is the last day of my life. Right. 
what would you do differently? Yeah. Would you be going to that job? Would you be eating that donut? Would you be do drinking that alcohol? Would you yeah. be doing what you're doing or would you actually put your life into perspective? So don't think that we have tomorrow to that same person that Tony was talking about. Don't think that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Think, what if today is the last day of my life? Right. We have no time. Brother. I'm so glad you came, bro. This was awesome. Thank you, man. man I really appreciate you, Thank dude. you. And uh, everybody, follow Focus Fight Finish on all the platforms. And follow, give, give this podcast some love. He's going to be on, on Apple Podcasts soon. We're going to make him go I on was, Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I was only going to do it on YouTube. And then I show up here within five minutes. Like, that's a terrible idea. You need to go everywhere. So, all right. I'm going everywhere. Anywhere podcasts are available, you can find Focus Fight Finish Podcast. And go on to f- an Apple Podcast and give him some reviews. I want him to have at least 20 to 30 reviews by the time he gets. So, he could get wow. a mom- some momentum. Thank you. All right, brother. Thank you for coming, man. Appreciate you, man. All right, man. Thank you.